All right. Um, let me start by um, telling a little story about this movie that I liked when growing up. It is a movie called Princess Diaries. Um, so it's an adaptation of a novel which I also read when I was a teenager. So basically, this movie tells a story of a young girl named Mia Thermopolis, and she lives in New York with her mom. In this story, Mia is being pictured as an unattractive girl with like big bushy hair, gigantic braces, and um, big glasses. And because of this, she is very unpopular in her school. And obviously, this is her struggle in the movie. But then one day, out of nowhere, a royal car is parked in front of her apartment. And it turns out that Mia is, just not, is not just a normal teenager who struggles with her appearance, but he, she is also a princess, a sole heir of a country named Genovia. I've Googled Genovia, and it's a made-up country, so it's not a real one. But in this movie, this is a real country, and she's going to rule this country soon. So long story short, Mia agrees to be the princess of this country, and learn more about how to be a good princess of the country. Then there is this coronation night where the grandma will announce to the world that this Mia is the sole heir of the country and she is the princess. Um, she finally made up to the coronation night and she turned out so differently from what we see on the first, uh, first uh, time in the movie. She turned out in a princess gown in a tiara. She really does look like a princess. Some of you might be thinking, what is this princess has to do with the assignment today? So what I'm trying to say is, Mia can turn up in coronation night with her school uniform or like her normal clothes. But no, she has to turn up in a princess gown and a tiara in order to confirm her identity as a princess. So her clothing confirms her identity. Clothing means something. Sometimes it represents us as individual, but sometimes it represents something more, something bigger than us. We live in a more relaxed world. For example, I can go to work wearing jeans, no one cares, a hoodie. But I know some people need to wear a more formal clothes to their work. Or what about this? If you're a supporter of an AFL team, granted you will have some sort of merch, and you will wear them with pride to their game even though they lost. It doesn't matter, because the merch makes you feel like you are part of a team. Or another example, do you remember last year a few of St. Kevin's College students were caught making sexist comments? And the school had to apologize for their behavior. Why does the school need to apologize? They didn't make the comments, and the students were not in the school ground. But when the video was um, recorded, the, school, the kids were wearing the school uniform. And somehow, the school is associated with that uniform. So they had, to, they had to make it clear that they have nothing to do with what the kid is saying. Clothing means something. And this is what our passage today is about. The passage today in Exodus 28 talks about the priest's clothing. And these pieces of clothing means something. It represents something bigger than just the priest. So we will learn what they mean today and how it is applicable for us today. However, in order for us to understand the significance of the priest's clothing, we need to see why priests play such an important role in this passage in Exodus. So our three points for today are the priest, the purpose of the clothing, and the pieces of the clothing. So the first point, the priest. 
Um, if I say a priest, what is the first thing that pops into your mind? I don't know. Um, for me, when I think of a priest, it's a funny old man with a big hat, a robe, and in a Roman Catholic church. Or maybe you think it's such old school. There is no priest anymore. We don't need priests anymore. Or maybe you think, well, priest is just like a pastor. They're the same. But in the Old Testament context, priest plays a different role. I know as we go through the book of Exodus, Pastor Ferdi and Christian have gone through the context several times. But let us see the context again. So the context of this part of Exodus is God has rescued his people from the slavery in Egypt. And God loves his people. He wants to be his, their God. And he wants them to be their people, his people. He wants to show his steadfast love to his people. He wants to go, to go with them in the wilderness. But there's one big problem. They are sinful. They keep rejecting God. They still want to go back to Egypt. And this is a big deal. How come a holy God can live with the sinful people? So now in this part of Exodus, God shows, God creates a system of how the holy God can live with the sinful people. God create this, God initiate the system. So God designed an elaborate system of sacrifices to make sure that God's holiness is not compromised when the sinful people come to him. And this mechanism also makes sure that the people who look after the spiritual health of God's people approach God rightly. As we see previously in the week before, God told his people to build the tabernacle system where there's the courtyard, there's the holy room, most holy room, there's a lamp, there's an ark of covenant, and there's a mercy seat. And where the mercy seat is, the most holy room of tabernacle. And only one person can get in. That is the high priest. Not even normal priest. It's just the one person high priest can come. So next week we will see what the high priest needs to do in order before they can come to the most holy room. But this week we will focus on the priestly clothing. So through the simple summary, I hope we can see why the priest plays such an important role in Old Testament. They are the mediator between God and the people. The priest is to represent the people in front of God and God for the people. Without the priest, the system will not work. But what does priest mean to us now? Yes, they are very important in the Old Testament, but we don't have tabernacle system. We don't have to offer sacrifices. What is, why is it so important for us now? Let's read from 1 Peter 2, verse 9. The Bible says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Church, if you are in Christ, this is our identity. This is who we are. We are a royal priesthood. And what does that mean? It means that we are not floating aimlessly in this world. We are not called to work 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, repeat that for 30, 50 years, collecting paycheck after paycheck. We are chosen. We are set apart for God. Just like the priests, we are called, 
sorry. Just like the priest, we are called to proclaim God in this world so that people who do not know God can have a glimpse of who God is, of what a picture of what it is to be God's people. Do we realize this when we go to office on Monday morning? Do we know this when we go to school or uni? Do we believe this as we prepare dinner for our family? Church, if you are in Christ, nothing that we do are in vain. We are called to proclaim Christ in everything, no matter how mundane it may seem. And I pray this is the reminder for all of us this morning. As we go about our Monday to Saturday, we remember that we are Christ's representative in this world, that we are called to proclaim His goodness in our life. My second point, the purpose. Let's read from Exodus 28, verse 1 to 4. Then Aaron, then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Itamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garment to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, to serve me as a priest. And the same thing again in verse 40 to 41. For Aaron's son, you shall make coat and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. So this is the beginning of Exodus 28 at the ending of Exodus 28. And they both give us the purpose of this clothing. There are three things that they say. It is for glory, for beauty, and to consecrate Aaron and his son for God's priesthood. The instruction about clothing of the priests indicates that God wants them to be set apart from common clothing. So Aaron and his sons cannot enter God's presence with just normal clothing. They need special one. These holy garments are exceedingly beautiful. It's intricate, it's ornate, and God has prepared all the skillful people to create this clothing. Um, the very phrase for glory and beauty is repeated in Psalms. But when the psalmist use this phrase, it's always attached to God's glory and beauty, not the priest. So what God's saying is, he want, the high priest is wearing all these clothes, not because they're beauty and glorious, but because it is to reflect God's glory and beauty. The priestly clothing is a reflection of who God is. When we read the God, uh, details of the priestly garment, Exodus 28 repeated this phrase a few times. It says, of gold, of blue, purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen. If you notice, this phrase is also um, used when God um, given instruction for the tabernacle to create the uh, interior of the holiest room, the most holy room. So you can see that the priestly clothing is an extension of the holy room where God's presence dwells in the midst of the people. 
just a side way, when I read this Exodus 28, I'm actually blown away of how much detail God put in this priestly clothing. From the tabernacle itself, what goes in here, what goes in there, the interior, how they should be made, with what color, it's all being given by God. Sometimes we think God is so big, He won't care about the small little details. But I think the Bible says otherwise. God is the God of details. So take comfort that knowing that even though God is so big, He also cares about the small little details of it. So back to the purpose of the priestly garment. We talk about the glory and beauty that is to reflect God's glory and beauty. And the last thing the Bible mentioned is to consecrate Aaron and his son for his priesthood. So the purpose of this glorious and beautiful clothing is not for Aaron and his son to frown upon themselves, but it is to serve God for his priesthood. The idea of consecrating something means to declare something sacred and holy. So then with the, whole, with the clothing, God wants to mark the priest as holy to him. Aaron and his son is consecrated for God. They are set apart for God. So the priestly clothing means something more than just the priest. It represents God who is glorious, utmost beautiful, and utterly holy. But what does it mean for us today? Do we need to dress like a priest so that we can be called glorious, beautiful, and holy? How can we as God's people, as his royal priesthood, reflect God in this world? Because we too are called to be set apart for God, not with clothing, but in a beauty of life devoted to God. When we look at our life, can we see this? Can we see a life that has been set apart for God? Can we see um, God's glory and beauty in our life is what we are doing, a reflection of who God is. If God cares so much in how the priest dressed before approaching him in the most holy room, don't you think he also cares on how we approach him with our life? If we are to be honest with ourselves, the answer will be no. When I look at my life and the things I have done, it is far from God's glory. Most of the time I behave as if I do not who God is or what it means to be God's people. I make decisions on my best interest of what makes me happy or what gives me joy. So how about you this morning? When you look at your life, can you truly say that your life has been set apart for God's glory? Or are we the same? that we have every intention to do good for God, but we fail miserably. Last point, the pieces. There are a few pieces um, in Exodus 28, but we're not going to um, talk about all of them. We're going to talk two of the most um, prominent ones from this. So in verse 4, it says, These are the garments that they shall make, a breast piece, an ephod, a rope, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. And in verse 36, another one he says, You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the graving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And the last piece on verse 42, You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh, 
they shall reach the hips to the thighs. So in total, there are eight pieces of clothing for the high priest. But if you have your Bible open, it's pretty clear which one is more prominent than the others because um, the other clothing, it only have one line, but the two that is more prominent, it has like big paragraphs on it. God put more details on death to um, pieces and they are the ephod and the breast piece. So let's look at the ephod. I actually have to Google an ephod because it is so unfamiliar for us. And the simplest explanation I can find in Google, it's, it's like an apron. So it has two shoulder pieces. It's around knee length or like ankle length, and it's open on the side. So it's like an apron. And it is made out of gold, of blue, of purple, scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen. But the most interesting part of an effort, it says it has two onyx stones set on the shoulder of the ephod. So it says on verse 9 to 12, you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their name before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. So these two onyx stones is not just for fashion, you know, like two stones. But these two onyx stones um, engraved with 12, the names of sons of Israel, six on one stone and six on the other one. And it mentions several times the purpose of these onyx stones. It says for remembrance, so that the priest may remember the task in which they are called. They are called by God to represent the people. The two onyx stones on the shoulder almost feels like the priest, when they come to God, they bear the burden of the people on their shoulder. And the second uh, piece that we're going to look at is the breast piece. It's really long verses, but I think it's worth reading. So please bear with me. Do not fall asleep. It's a lot of details, but I promise it's going to be good. So verse 15 to 30. You shall make a breast piece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of ephod, you shall make it of glue, of gold, of blue, and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen. You shall make it. It shall be square and double, a span its length and a span its breadth. You shall set it in four rows of stones. A row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row is a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. You shall make for the breast piece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And you shall make for the breast piece two rings of gold. And put the two rings on the two edges of the breast piece. And you shall put the two cords of gold into the two rings at the edges of the breast piece. The two ends of the two cords shall attach to the two settings of filigree, and so attach it in front of the shoulder pieces of the ephod. 
You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breast piece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold, attach them in front of the lower part of the shoulder pieces of the ephod as it seemed above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breast piece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breast piece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Tumim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. What a long passage, but I think you have, hopefully you get the gist of a breast piece. So it's kind of small, it's a square, it's set, set in the center, has um, you know, a cord attached to it. But the most, interest, the most important part is it has four rows of, pre, of stones. We don't know what their stone is or why it's chosen to be on the breast piece. But in Ezekiel, he mentioned that nine of the 12 stones is actually considered precious stones. So we can say that in the breast piece, there are 12. Um, they are filled with precious stones. And now the 12 stones is not there again just for fashion, but it is engraved with the name of the sons of Israel. So the priest has this two onyx stone on the shoulder and the precious stones on their heart. The high priests are called to remember on behalf of the people, to bring attention to God with these people burden and on his shoulder and their names on his heart. In the Bible, the heart is always associated with the person's most inner being. It is the center of their, who they are. It is the center of their thinking. So by saying that you put someone's name in your heart, it means they are the center of your thinking, that you put them first. Isn't it a beautiful picture of our Christian life too? That we are called not only to care for ourselves, but to care for other people. Just like the priests who bring these people's name in remembrance before the Lord, we too can bring other people's name in remembrance before the Lord. We can pray for our family, our spouse, our kids, our colleagues, or whoever the person that God has put into our heart. We can pray for their health their salvation, their problem, their desire, we are freely come to God to bring their name. When I prepare this message, I'm truly convicted. Because here I am telling that this is what we should do, that we ought to live this way. But if we are to be honest, what is the first thing that we pray before we go to bed? We pray for myself and my family. We pray for blessing and for protection for our loved ones. And if I'm not too sleepy or if I have time, then I will pray for other people. Or if it's a church prayer meeting, then obviously we pray for other people. But yeah, if we can be honest to ourselves, we are failed miserably in all of this. And I hope that is the message that you get when you hear all of this. It's not that I am such a good Christian, but I am doomed for I am not good. But this is the good news that we don't have to do it all on our own. Let me close with verse 43. 
Exodus 28, verse 43 says, And they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they go to into the tent of meeting, and when they come near to the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statue forever for him and for his offspring after him. The high priest needed to wear all of these beautiful garments so that they wouldn't die in the presence of the Holy God. How about us today? How, can, how is it possible for us to come to God's presence with our sins and failure? How is it possible for us to be called royal priesthood when we constantly live in sins and our own pleasure? There is only one answer. Because we to have a, God, a great high priest who is interceding for us. The high priest in Old Testament wore all these beautiful garments before entering the, whole, uh, the holy room. But Jesus, our great high priest, was stripped down naked and beaten on the cross. The high priest wore a turban on his head and a plate, golden plate saying, Holy to the Lord. But our high priest wore a crown of thorns. The high priest had two onyx stones on his shoulder, but our high priest bore our burdens on his shoulder. The high priest wore breastpiece of precious stones, but Jesus, he bore our names in his heart, the sinful and rebellious people in his heart. The high priest needed to wear all this garment for glory, for beauty, and for holy, for holiness, but Jesus, he took off his beauty, he took off his glory and holiness, and took upon our sin and ugliness, so that you and I can be called glorious, beautiful, and holy. Church, the only reason we can come to the holy place right now and not die is because we are clothed with Christ's righteousness. So now when God looks at us, he doesn't see sinful, rebellious people, but he sees his glorious possession, his holy nation, his chosen race, and he calls us beautiful. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 21 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For his sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of this, now we can come confidently to the throne of grace so that we can reflect his marvelous light in this world. Church, to the degree that we understand it caused God, his one and only son, to clothe us with his righteousness. To that degree, we will start living in a way that reflects God's glory and beauty. Let's pray.